0: As I warned you before after, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep the separate with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I back? Okay, cool. Well, uh, last week was my wife Stephanie's birthday, and for her birthday, I, I had a present clearly in my mind what I wanted to get her. And uh, I planned to get these uh, candlesticks to go into our windows. And we had some plans on uh, the night of her birthday, so I planned to kind of set it up during the day, and then when she got home, she would see them in the window knew exactly what I wanted. Uh, so the week before, I went to Walmart and looked at Walmart, couldn't find remotely what I was looking for. So I went to Bed Bath & Beyond, and they didn't really have quite what I was looking for, and the things that they did have were quite expensive. So then I did some research online, I looked online and I found that they have some at the Christmas tree shop. They were a reasonable price, and so I waited to the day of her birthday, and went there during the day, and these, candlesticks that were there were supposed to be kind of a black, cuter color, and they were like this weird greenish color, well, that wasn't going to work. So I went to Target and the right drill bit. One drill bit I had was too small one of it was too big. Okay, well what am I going to do now? So I take double-sided tape and try to put them in the window with double-sided tape and they just kind of topple over. It looked really weird. Okay. So then I looked on, uh, on the internet at Walmart and they have these really cheap bases at Walmart, like 78 cents each. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run over to Walmart quick. So I run over to Walmart and I get that, and both of these Standard size fittings, uh, but the candlestick didn't fit in the base. So I take a knife and I'm trying to whittle them and fit in the base. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't work. So actually I just told her, all I can say is I tried really, really hard. And uh, ironically, yesterday I went to Home Depot Happy and we want to make a difference. We want to be satisfied and we want to be significant. These are the two biggest driving forces in our life. These are things that nearly everybody wants. If I were to ask 100 people, everybody here, if I was to ask you, do you want to be happy? Probably none of us would say, no, I don't really want to be happy, I want to be sad. I mean, even people that you might say, well, so and so is kind of a grouchy person, they wallow in sadness, even in that they must derive some perceived benefit from being sad or putting on appearances. Everyone is was to ask hundred people, so, do you want to be significant? Not many of us would say, no, I don't want to be significant. I don't want to make a difference in the world. I just want to kind of go to the ground and be forgotten about forever. We all want to be satisfied. We want to be significant the basis of all behavior. Listen to what the famous mathematician Blaise task said about the desire for happiness or satisfaction. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step up to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. Even those who hang themselves. This is what the Austrian neuroscientist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl had to say about the quest for significance. He said life is not primarily a quest for pleasure, as Freud believed, or a quest for power, as Alfred Adler taught, but a quest for meaning. The greatest task of any person is to find meaning in his or her own life. The goal is quite clear. We all want to be satisfied and significant, and just like I could see clearly what I wanted for my wife, those candles in the windows. So What's going to get there? In our culture, we know what we want, but we can't get there. And the reason that we can't do that and get there is because we frantically search for the answers in the wrong place. The problem is not with the goal. It's not wrong to want to be happy, to have joy, or be satisfied, it's not wrong to want to live a life of significance, but we try to get there the wrong way. Back in Paul's day, they tried to be significant by keeping the law, and we talked in the last few weeks about this moralism or legalism where these Galatians were trying to kind of bolster their own resume, so to speak, rather than focusing on the work of of Christ. But if they kept the law, if they kept the religious observances, then they were significant, and they had meaning in their own lives. Now, in our culture, we might not think of that in moral categories as morality being equally significant. But even in our culture, that kind of seeps through. I remember this past week, I heard a number of uh, political advertisements. One candidate is this great, noble, wonderful person, and this other candidate is this dirty, brown, stumpag, terrible person. <laughs> in other words, one person is significant, one person is insignificant. The person being immoral was insignificant. So we can search for significance through our morality or our own efforts. We can also search for this through our own performance and doing the right things, or what we think are the right things by going to college, by graduating, by having a camera, by making a lot of money. Things that we use to bolster our significance or feeling of significance. But when we do these things, we ultimately end up alcohol, food, sex, or idols to try to satisfy or fill the holy ground. The flesh also finds delight in division in pride, gossip, the downfall of others. Those things are the works of the flesh, Paul says. And Paul gives this list of 15 different works of the flesh. And he says these things aren't exhaustive. It's not that Paul lists every single item that he could list on this list. But he gives examples. And he says that the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. There's no debate about these things. These are so clearly wrong that Paul is basically saying, you don't have to have the law to understand that these things are wrong. If you were to ask Americans, do you believe adultery is wrong? There, are, there aren't many people that say, oh yeah, that's it's fine. It's a good thing to do. 84% of Americans, whether Christian or non-Christian, would say that that's wrong. You'd say, is is, uh, idolatry wrong? Not many people would say, yeah, idolatry is a good thing. So these things are evident. But he gives this list as examples. And so let's briefly just look look a little bit at this list. The first three things that he gives deal with sexual immorality. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and sexuality. The word for sexual immorality is the Greek word, from the Greek word, porneia which indicates any kind of sexual sin. Could be adultery, pornography, homosexuality, premarital sex, or any of the like. Impurity may denote someone who's sexually unclean. The word for sensuality is defined by one Greek dictionary as a lack of self-constraint, which involves one in conduct that violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. A lack of self-constraint, which Involves one in con- uh, conduct that violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. One commentator I read suggested that this word would be associated with the party animal lifestyle. It goes on idolatry, worshiping other gods, sorcery, which uh, may have involved in the use of medicine and magical practices. Today it might be equivalent to kind of dabbling in the occult for such activities.
1: Then he lists a bunch of
0: things that are harmful to community life. Things like empathy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, envy. Then we have drunkenness. And then the last word translated orgy. To
1: writer Matt Walsh,
0: in just one year, we dedicated well over four and a half billion hours to watching porn on one porn site. On that single website, humanity, the world, spent twice as much time doing porn in a year as it has spent existing on planet Earth. The site had over ninety billion video views and forty four thousand visitors every minute of every day. It all adds up to over five thousand years worth of porn consumed in the span of twelve years. Since two thousand fifteen, human beings have spent one million years watching porn. According to research from two thousand fourteen, about one out of every six American young adults between eighteen to twenty five had a substance abuse disorder in two thousand fourteen. Sixteen point three percent people in that age group. Based on a recent study by the CDC psychologist, uh, Scott Stanley and Glenn Rose, suggests that greater than 64% of people will live together without being married. According to a Gallup survey, homosexuality is on the rise, with those who identify as LGBT in 2012 being 3.5%, going up to 2018. In 2015 to 2016, 39.8% of Americans were considered to be obese. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, in 2015, 26.9% of people ages 18 or older reported that they engaged in binge drinking in the last month. Paul offers a very stern warning in this passage. He says, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He warns us that people who serve the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks even more clearly through the Apostle John in Revelation 21. It says, the one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their fortune will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the sacrifice. So you might be thinking to yourself, so wait a minute, we've been talking for weeks about salvation by grace. Now it's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation that is all based upon the works of Christ, and we just need to trust in him to be saved. And that's what Paul was countering was this kind of legalistic tendency to say that I have to do certain things. I need to keep the law in order to be saved. So if that's the case, why does Paul say here that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is he contradicting himself here? Is he not saying that salvation is not by grace? Well, I don't think he's doing that at all. But he recognizes that when you're in a relationship with someone, that it changes who you are. Now we can expect that in human relationships. How much more relationship is God? I mean, think about it this way. Imagine that you go to a friend's wedding and they go through the whole ceremony, the reciting of vows, the ring exchange, the ceremony kiss, the whole deal. And then the next day you go over to your friend's house and you see your friend is on a Christian angle At her apartment, and I'm here. I'll, I'll see her sometime. But hey, you know, guess what? I, the football game is on tonight. Do you want to come over and watch the football game with me and we can hang out and just have a good time? Don't you want to spend some time with your wife? No, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. That's fine. That's no problem. And, and thinking about that, you're bewildered, and finally, you're like, so did I miss something? Was I not at your wedding yesterday? Did you not just get married? Today? You know, we expect someone who gets married or enters into a relationship like that to be changed. you are no longer single, they're helpful. It changes who you are. And how much more so a relationship with God? The person who enters into a relationship with no, God, they don't stay the same. Because when we trust in Jesus, he sends his spirit to live inside of us. Now that doesn't mean that we're perfect. All of us uh, have probably found ourselves some place on these works of the flesh. All of us have found ourselves there way or the other. But the difference is, for believers, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. The person who's not a believer doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and the trajectory of their life... For believers, that they're led by the Spirit, and occasionally the flesh rears the test. Occasionally we return to these works. The person who's not a believer, they're just living in these works of the flesh. And so if you're here and your life is marked by these things, by sin and wickedness, there's a stern warning here in this passage that Paul gives us that he will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But if that's you, if you find yourself... There, living in the works of the flesh, the answer is not to try harder. The answer is to invite Christ into your life. The answer is not increase your works. The answer is get a new relationship with the Spirit from inside you, and He will come into you and He will change you from the inside out. Note also in this passage that the works of the flesh are the known as works, but things that the Spirit gives are known as fruits. They're byproducts of the spirit life inside of us. They're not something that we earn. They're just something that happens because God lives inside of us. And know what these fruits of the spirit are. First, we have attributes that are related to happiness or satisfaction. Love, that quality that's from God, that is our life's need. Joy, what in the ancient world, and even today, is an emotion That is in response to pleasure. Peace, the absence of conflict, both with God or with man. These three things encapsulate what it means to live a life that's satisfying and joyful and happy. Then we have attributes related to significance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, self-control, was spoken about by Aristotle and Plato, and according to scholar Richard Longnecker, this concept of self-control was one of the central concepts of what it meant to be ethical in the ancient world. And what these qualities really are is the qualities of significance. If you would talk to the ancient writers, the ancient moral writers, the ancient Jewish sages, these are the things that you would look for in a significant person. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithful control These are what it means to live a significant life. And so know what's happening here. The fruit of the Spirit as uh, the fruit of a Spirit-filled life is the fruit that we all long for. Satisfaction and significance. And so if we want to live satisfying and significant lives, we need the Spirit's life inside us. If we want to live satisfying and significant lives, we need the Spirit's life inside of us. Those are the two things that we need and long for in our life. And if we're going to get there, we need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. For some of us, that means inviting Christ into our life. We don't have a relationship with Christ. We're living in the works of the flesh. Trusting in what He's done for us on the cross. Inviting Him into our lives. Starting a relationship. But for others of us who are believers, it may mean walking and listening to the Spirit. Notice what Paul says at the end of this passage. If we live by the Spirit, let us, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, if the Spirit is living inside of us, let us walk in accordance with that passage. Let us listen to His words. Let us obey Him. Let us trust in His power rather than our own. Well, sometimes that can get a confusing. Sometimes when we think about the Spirit talking to us, we think, you know, we get kind of weird with that, like we're walking down the street and, all oh, right, the Spirit's gonna tell me to turn right. The Spirit's gonna tell me to turn left. The Spirit could talk like that to you, he, he may, but oftentimes what the Spirit does is he reminds us of the words of Christ. And so maybe we're in a situation where we're doing something that we know is wrong, but we're doing it anyway we hear that voice in the back of our head that reminds us of what Christ has said. The Spirit brings that conviction on us. And then in that moment we have a choice. Are we going to listen to the Spirit or are we going to listen to the flesh? That's how the Spirit often works. Or maybe we're with a friend who's an unbeliever. You know, We hear that voice in the back of our head where it's like the Spirit is telling us we need to share the gospel with that person. That's how the Spirit often Speaks to us. And so we can pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract entity. The Holy Spirit is a person. We can talk to him. We can invite him into our lives. To be attentive to his voice. And when he does speak, when we do hear him, we need to obey him. Craig Barnes, author and pastor, tells a story uh, about how when he was a kid, his dad was a minister and his dad brought home. 12-year-old orphan whose parents had died of drug overdoses. And uh, there was no one to care for this boy named Roger. And so Craig's dad brought him home. And uh, Craig notes how it was difficult for Roger to adjust to his new family at first. I mean, he was used to a very chaotic lifestyle where his parents were continually addicted to heroin and there was a lot of screaming and violence and just crazy situations the so Craig says every time every day several times a day i heard my parents saying this to roger no no that's not how we behave in this family no no you don't have to scream or fight or hurt other people to get what you no no roger we expect you to show respect in this family and in time roger began to change Craig goes on and says now, did Roger have to make all those changes in order to become a part of the family? No. He was made a part of the family simply by the grace of my father. But did he, did he then have to do a lot of hard work because he was in the family? He batted that. He did. It was tough for him to change, and he had to work at it, but he was motivated by gratitude for the incredible love he had received. He says, do you have a lot of hard work to do now that the Spirit has adopted you into God's family? Certainly. But not in order to become a son or a daughter of to have father. No, you make those changes because you're a son or a daughter. And every, every time you start to revert back to the old addictions to sin, the Holy Spirit will say to you, No, no. That's not how we act in this thing. That's how the Spirit guides us. He leads us into all righteousness. He reminds us of the works of Christ. He convicts us when we're going astray." Leads us back and we, and we want to live lives that are satisfied. lives of joy, we need to live them in the Spirit, following we, we want to make, live, live lives that are lives of significance, where we make a difference in the world with those around us. We need to walk in the Spirit, trust in Him, rely on His power as we live our daily lives. We want to live satisfied, satisfying life inside us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you offer us forgiveness and through the cross. And that when we believe and trust in you, you send your Holy Spirit to live inside of us to take rest, that the God's life will be inside of us. That you would come inside and transform us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come.